0: In this week's show, we have uh, friends of the show, Sam Granger and Joe Baylog, and we have a very interesting conversation about the great, the amazing, the smartest man in the world who has revolutionized um, the YouTube and Spotify and podcasting. They say that he's the number one source of information. He's become the new John Stewart, in a sense, mm-hmm. because he's not only a comedian, he's a thinker and someone who's pushing the envelope and bringing interesting guests, and he pulls no punches. The great and the amazing and the comedian and MMA commentator, Joe Rogan. So as I decided to go after uh, his eminence, uh, I decided to name the show, Joe Rogan is lying. So I'm not coming after him as a person, I'm coming against what he said in the Tim Dillon show. I've been a fan of the comedian Tim Dillon for the last eight months, and he is very uh, outspoken and critical of all the vaccination mandates and issues with uh, whatever's going on with COVID. He's also very funny and making fun of all kinds of famous people from both right, right and left. And that's why I think a lot of people like Joe Rogan because he comes across as the, the man on the street, the all-American dude who uh, doesn't take BS from anyone. And he has become even more successful now that he has a million-dollar contract with Spotify. And as a as someone who has a Spotify membership, I'm very disappointed to see that they're still uh, allowing for some of his um, interviews with very shady characters and, and giving a platform to people like Alex Jones, as well as other people who have good things to say. So it's not about the show itself. It's not about uh, his format or or him inviting multiple views or all kinds of people. It's about him using his, uh, his ability to uh, impact the culture to allow some of his friends and some of his people that, that help him get clicks to um, keep uh, pushing and supporting ideas that are very pro- problematic. So I know he's had um, conservative guys, he's had liberal guys, he's had people in between, but my specific issue with him is uh, people like Alex Jones who have a very shady background and very problematic stands on everything and you can say and this is how a lot of entertainers get away with all kinds of stuff: is that they were just kidding, they were just trying to uh, get a right side of the crowd, they were trying to make people think, and then they they get away with all kinds of stuff. So we have uh, we're, I'm gonna let Sam uh, give his opinion on his overall perspective on uh, Joe Rogan's uh, program and and why he does what he does, and then I'm gonna have Joe the slammer uh, on the Alex Jones uh, controversy because he has some really good stuff that I didn't even know of uh, about how destructive and damaging uh, some of these conspiracy theories can be.
1: So, I mean, I'm a longtime listener of Joe Rogan, and what's happening now with people saying that um, you know he's misinformation and he should be canceled, he should be deplatformed, um, all this kind of stuff, I got to say that Joe is like, he's been consistent for, you know, this decade or so that he's been doing podcasts, where like he hasn't flip flopped his opinion on things. He's approached arguments in consistent ways for a long time. And it's just right now they happen to be talking about COVID and transgenderism and you know things that are hot button issues now and so they think that he has a reactionary opinion to these current you know uh social trends or these current like sociological trends we got to talk about these things because they're happening right here and right now and so they think like he takes you know just this one side of things you know to be contrarian and i'm just like you know i've been listening for you know the better part of a decade and just because this might be the first time you're catching an episode from him doesn't mean like he's just doing this spin like this. Cause um, I think all of his arguments come from the same place. They're of the same cloth. He doesn't lie and he doesn't uh, all he does is ask questions of guests. And I think by having people like Alex Jones and Bob Lazar and, uh, you know, a bunch of controversial figures on there, what ends up happening is the arguments are brought into the open air that you can listen to or not, you can agree with them or not, but it's, it's at least free speech. Um, and I think, like, it's good to just get these conversations out in the open air because it doesn't matter if facts are wrong or something like that. As long as people can question facts, as long as he's allowed to ask questions, as long as we're allowed to question him, you know, free speech keeps rolling and we all keep learning. If we were to try and shut down his podcast or shut down his ability to ask questions of people, then I think we're the fascists. Okay, well,
0: um, before we go to Joe, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, Sam. Um mm-hmm. How much money is Joe Rogan paying you to defend him on my show?
1: <laughs> Zero. But I'll I'll take a I'll take a kettlebell if he's got one.
0: When did the CIA uh, sign you up to become an informant and someone who expresses information by supporting Joe Rogan? When was the
1: last time I was on this podcast? Uh, yeah, it was yeah, around yeah. this time. So you see it? I'm just asking <laughs> well, it was because your podcast wasn't paying enough, so I had to go to. His. Right. I'm
0: there not making go. any accusations. <laughs> I'm just asking questions.
2: <laughs> 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 uh, careful, David, careful the kind of questions you ask, what manner, be specific. So, so that's important. the thing,
0: we can always play dumb and say, well, I'm just asking questions. I had a friend that he would say horrible, offensive things, but he would always put in a, in a, in a question. So I'd right. be like, Joe, uh, I know that you and Hillary Clinton have been um, eating babies. Uh, how long have you guys been doing that?
1: Three years. <laughs> when you frame a question like that, it begs the answer, you know, because uh, you, you plant in someone's mind, you know, that this person is guilty of whatever charge that you put them at. So, like, I have to first of all deny that I have any involvement with the CIA or I have to deny that I have any connection with Joe, you know, because you've already planted in your question a false premise,
0: So in the questions that you see Joe Rogan ask, he always asks them fairly, like he he never has an agenda or something he's trying to convey because I have a friend and he's very conservative in when it comes down to moral issues and all kinds of um, traditional perspectives. But when it comes down to um, drugs, he has been convinced by Joe Rogan and all his guests that drugs have a beneficial effect on you especially you know the god uh, particle or whatever all those things where uh, if you take ayahuasca or if you take some kind of lsd type of thing that it opens your mind and then you can heal yourself and stuff like that and i i couldn't believe how easily he was manipulated to accept those premises just by having some guy who they claim is a genius who they claim uh, knows a lot about these things and interviewed by joe rogan so it's almost like hypnotizing to listen for three hours to some guy who's pitching drug use as the way forward and it's a path of enlightenment. And, uh, well,
1: how do you know that it's not a way forward? How do you know that it doesn't have salutary effects on people's minds and their souls and their bodies?
0: Then we have nothing to even talk about because it's the same thing that the religious folks would say, like, until you try God, how do you know he doesn't exist? It's all a personal revelation and personal experience so now we have to open the, the door to all kinds of uh, different things. How many drug addicts do you know have had better results in their lives and in the way they engage the world? than people? Well,
1: you're also using a generic term like drug. Um, what do you mean drugs that have ruined people's lives? Are we talking about SSRIs that mess with people? Are we talking about Viagra pills, you know, that say warning, could involve thoughts of suicide or death. I mean, that is in every drug that we sell on the market. And we made those things. Now, when it comes to cannabis, when it comes to cocaine, when it comes to psilocybin mushrooms, all of those things are different. You know, a narcotic, a psychedelic, and a cannabinoid, and alcohol, those cannot be lumped up together in one thing just because they're controlled substances. That's about all they have in common. So each of those things needs to be um, criticized according to the domain that it's in.
0: Right. And Joe and I have had that conversation about being able to have a good trip or a bad trip or using drugs as a way to connect with the the deity or, or some other spirits or whatever, but it's a different premise. So if the premise is, human beings can reach higher realms through substances, then that's, you know, it's almost like the basis of paganism. And we can talk about paganism some other time, but in a hedonistic society that we live in, uh, now they've gone from um, drugs are one way that you can handle life to religion is evil and drugs are good. So I feel that Joe Rogan... um, supports the type of um, uh, what's named Bill Maher mentality where you, um, you, you put drugs in, in this higher level of, uh, of experience and positive thing without taking into account like someone like Russell Brand who was actually was very addicted and had very bad experiences with drugs. There's a spiritual component of lack of uh, connection with the divine and lack of, of love for the self that takes you in that route. So uh, I know I'm making great generalizations, but when you have someone who says through these drugs, even if they're the ones that are not uh, considered as addictive or whatever, I have reached a higher self or through ayahuasca, I was able to deal with my trauma or something like that. It contradicts people like Russell Brand who feel that their trauma was exacerbated and their life was almost uh, destroyed. And now they are big proponents for people staying away from drugs. Until he has people on his show who are true drug addiction counselors and people who have helped a lot of people who have uh, gotten into the place where it's become destructive, you can be a proponent of these very fan like what what is also kind of ridiculous it is it's almost like the first world problems where you know I have the money to go to uh, the Amazon and take ayahuasca, and I had a great experience, and now everybody should do it. like come on man. Like, I come from a country where people are sniffing glue because they're so hungry. They don't want to think about food, so they sniff glue. And now you have all these rich white uh, people with a lot of money telling me that drugs are fantastic. And it's like, it just seems like, almost like a sales pitch for a destructive lifestyle.
1: What do you do with the fact that he's done interviews with Gabor Mate, who is, I mean, he's dedicated his life to dealing with drug addictions in Vancouver, some very tough drug addictions that are over there and finding out ways to help people get, get off of their addiction and to live a free and full life. And then he talks about ayahuasca and psychedelics as ways, substances that break the cycle that our neurology is constantly reinforcing once you get into an addictive cycle. They break that cycle so that your free will might be able to take over again. And it's demonstrated in these communities that it works. 85% of people after um, like an intentional uh, clinical uh, psychiatric psychedelic trip, these people in that setting 85% of the time are cured of addictions that have plagued them for decades of trauma that's plagued them for decades. That's research. Those are facts and that's data. Now, what we do with that is an interesting question, but the fact of the matter is he interviewed someone who's an edit, an addiction counselor and a proponent of psychedelics in these ways.
0: Well, all I know is that at one point I, I didn't want nothing to do with uh, marijuana, and then the more I talked to the marijuana proponents, they were able to separate between the addictive part of it and the healing part of it. So just like any other plant, there are always ways that you can use it properly, but when you're dealing with mass population, that that seldomly happens like this idea that there is people who are qualified and like doctors are, are prescribing certain types of drugs to help people out that to me seems like a an opportunity for healing. But if we're just saying that all drugs have beneficial effects, and, and that's the kind of culture that these guys come from, because you have to the kind of like, I know people don't like broad generalizations, but the, the, the Hollywood types, and I know he doesn't see himself as a Hollywood type because he's uh, he's more enlightened and he left Hollywood to come to Texas and this and that, they have this uh, head uh, mentality that uh, whatever they did when they were kids and stuff like that is so awesome and so wonderful and now they want the whole world to do it. And I've had to mm-hmm. think about that with other people. But the one thing that was coming to mind when we were talking about uh, the different research and stuff like that is that uh, Joe Rogan, uh, I know you have more uh, knowledge of all his interviews, but he was proposing what some Israeli group said that uh, the uh, the burning bush was like a, a marijuana bush or some other kind of nonsense?
1: Well, it was most likely an acacia tree that has um, an analogous substance to DMT inside of it. Uh-huh. And so when the bush was burning, um, Moses was getting, you know, psychedelic inhalations
0: so uh, all i can say is that uh, the most popular uh, podcast that i've done is the one about john allegro's theory which is very similar but it's
1: uh, yeah the mushroom and the sacred cross
0: uh, yeah so it's the the jesus passing out mushrooms and and the tree of life is a mushroom and everything's a mushroom and it just seems like it's um like there's an agenda driven perspective to be able to to prove that drugs have an effect that I don't really see. And the acacia argument is used, uh, especially by my co-host who, who was uh, pushing that perspective from the book. And if you have a tree that has those properties, but it's never used in that way in the Bible, then I think that's unfair. Like acacia was used to make the, the, um, the holy ark. So it was used as wood. It wasn't used as part of the incense. And if you look at the um, all the other trees that that come up in the Bible and the the formula for the incense, um, none of acacia, marijuana, none of those things ever come up. But they try to come up with weird translations or weird things to push whatever uh, perspective. And and to me, that's the problem. Like, and of course, there's always going to be one scientist out of a thousand. Who's going to say no? It, it was acacia, the you know the spice that they use, even in the frankincense thing they brought to Jesus. it had acacia in it, so everybody was getting high. Like, come on, man. Same thing with doctors. You have a thousand doctors. There's a hundred who think that COVID doesn't exist. We're going to interview those guys, and have them on, and then the other nine hundred can can go, you know, to heck. Like to me, that's part of the problem. So I don't want to get bogged down on on specifics, but. Uh, I want to see what Joe thinks about the, art, the the stuff we've been talking about so far. Do you think that I'm being unfair towards the other Joe, Joe? Or am I uh, asking questions? Why is Joe Rogan uh, such a proponent of drugs? Does he, does he own uh, some type of uh, stock in the ayahuasca business? Is he trying to push tourism from Brazil? What do you think, Joe Baila?
2: Well, those are all fair questions. Just investigating somebody or something wrong with that.
0: So what do you think? Do you think that like, he's just a journalist? He's just, uh, you know, someone who's, who's looking deeper into things. Like, what?
2: So he says that in his podcast, why he brings people on is because he's interested in what they have to say. So he curates his audience based on his interests. So you're only getting people that Joe Rogan cares about, that he probably is aligned with in some sense, or that, you know, he has some curiosity about that he might not agree with, but he's curious about what they're going to say, what they think, so he's going to bring them on just to have a conversation. So there's nothing wrong with that. Again, as you say, in some sense, it goes back to a business. I mean, he started a podcast with nothing, making zero money, and now he's got a full-blown podcast. I don't know how much it makes. He probably doesn't even need the money, to be honest, from his previous career path, how much money he's probably made it's probably rather substantial. He talked about on the podcast, he gave somebody a gift of $25,000 to give to his friend so that that guy could come on the show with him. So, you know, he doesn't need the money. He does it because he's interested in these topics. He wants to have conversations with people who are intellectuals, people who are cultural. Um, what's the right word? Um, cultural sort of giants, you could say. He brings on Jordan Peterson. He brings on, Um, Other these guys that are just well-known and versed in certain circles because he wants to have more interesting conversations. He gets super popular for it. That's another thing. I mean, talked about on this show, the influence of fame has had on him. So He's entered into a different realm of existence, of life, where he now, not that he probably didn't have it before, but now that he's so big with the COVID stuff that apparently his name is just the number one go-to for code information, um, which is interesting because that makes someone who is, uh, who has tried to put it all together, who has curated his own small group of people who's interested in having conversations with to be the spokesperson and the dis- uh, dissemination of all this information based on one topic, which is pretty darn complicated, you know, but in some sense it's nice to have one source of truth um that's sort of a data world thing but um it just makes it convenient you know you have one person to go to we do that already with google everyone just submits their minds to google and they give back whatever information they want um so i don't think he's doing anything unethical and i don't necessarily think people should be surprised i don't know his fame yeah he's a good talker he's a really good guy, solid. He's had so much experience in life that he brings to the table. And then again, he just makes a simple place for people to come together and talk. And he has super long conversations with them. He asks all his questions, they get to ask him questions. Um, for sure, he runs the show. It's his baby. So that's pretty obvious. But um, there's nothing, he's candid, you know, people like that. People want candid conversations with people where they're not trying to screw you and they're not trying to manipulate you. He brings up a really good point of just the media and uh, people in the media, everything's super curated in that sense, but from a corporate standpoint, right? And then you get into the questions of what's relationship with the corporation, with these other people, with this company, with ac- this academic, this college or the government, Um and a lot of those things are already known, so he kind of creates a space where people can come together, where they are at least allowed, in some sense, to speak more openly. And now, the fact that he's on Spotify, he has millions of viewers, everybody sees his stuff. It's good and bad, right? Because um, on the good side, yes, he's just like this UFC guy who came. He was a comedian first, but came up through the ranks. Or well, actually, he was he was a fighter first, but then came up through the ranks. You know, started his own career, very successful in his own sense, and then just started having fun by making podcasts. And now he gets to have his friends on, who's Tim Dillon, and then he gets to, you know, invite people because he's famous to talk on a show, and he gets to have sort of a platform um, that allows him to connect to all these people. And it's it's good in some sense. Um, does it make um you know, it's... I don't know. Cause it seems like part of the question that you're asking is how did he get so famous and was it disingenuous because, um, I mean, he just started it for fun. There was not like a God, I'm going to go like be the most successful podcast person or whatever. But then also, yeah, fame with it brings certain benefits and you can use those benefits however you want to. Personally, I think he's a pretty honest guy. He's not trying to screw anybody. Um, he probably goes down some rabbit holes a little bit too far, you know, that, but he's not like into conspiracy theories, but he's slightly interested in them. He's talking to Bob Dylan. He's like the UFO guy, he's a scientist. He's not like a crazy nut who is just like, in uh, Nevada or something like doing like weird UFO stuff. He, he's just interested in like people and getting to know them and,
0: I'm going to stop you there because uh, you just gave him a, a really good uh, PR uh, presentation. So, so let's, let's see if what you're saying is true. And I'm not saying he's disingenuous. I actually think he's very engaging, he's very entertaining, and he has some <laughs> great points. But I, all I did was type Alex Jones, Joe Rogan on Spotify, and uh, there's a clip that says, for 41 minutes, Alex Jones speaks on Illuminati agenda on joe rogan's podcast and then uh he talks about the whole um you know most likely it's true the thing with um uh, joe biden's son's uh laptop then there's another one alex jones on bohemian grove skull bones and epstein and then uh it just keeps going so mm-hmm the most disturbing thing about a Tim Dillon uh, interview, and if anybody's interested, it's on YouTube, and it's also on the Tim Dillon podcast. Well, he actually deleted it from the Tim Dillon podcast, so I'm surprised he did that. Um, he said, this is yep. what Jim Logan said, and I quote, he said, yep. almost everything that Alex Jones has said up until he was the platform has been yeah. true. Almost yeah.
1: everything.
2: Yeah. So So the, so the- the um, Illuminati stuff then he would agree with implicitly.
0: Illuminati, Trump is the greatest man that ever lived, Um, whatever, Joe Joe Biden is is supporting uh, whatever the hell his son is doing and most likely that one's true. They're
1: turning the frogs gay. Yeah. Uh, According
0: to Joe, that is true. Joe, tell us about the frogs truly uh, losing their uh, sexuality. Oh,
2: Oh, so I was telling you that then I was just that the whole the epi the, not the epidemiology the environmental problem is that and sam knows as well too the sex change thing is an environmental fact but the cause of that is a lot to do with pollution things we put in the environment and estrogen levels and, and all of that because of the stuff that we make um yeah either directly or indirectly ends up in the environment somehow and it changes the genetics. And, you know, amphibians are actually particularly sensitive to it because they are both in the water and in the ground. Um, so they have two areas of exposure that they can get to and they have, you know, films that basically cover them. Um, and so toxins are able to leak through them quite easily. And they, they also through their yeah. skin. Right. They breathe of skin. So they're, I don't even know, probably a good test subject. Fish are also a good one. Um, birds are highly studied. The microplastics
1: boxes. that are affecting their sexuality is what we have, you know, in our he- heatable dinners, you know, like the frozen bags that you That's steam in, doing. or the frozen foods that you cook in the plastic in the microwave. That stuff leaches into our food, and then we eat it. And those are also attested to facts. And so whatever. Maybe people laughed at it when Alex Jones said it, first of all. But, yeah, but- the more research that's done on phthalates and these microplastics, the more people are like, yeah, BPA is not good. Um, yeah, what's what's the stuff in the river? Um,
2: the- yeah, none of that stuff is bad. not EFOS. Yeah, yeah. That's why we started moving away from plastic water bottles. It was a big thing because BPAs, the EPA finally came out. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a bad thing. And then everybody's like, yeah, it's a bad thing. And then guys, we start doing it. But I
0: knew that frogs can turn uh, female or male from Jurassic Park in 1991 when I read the book. That's but, it. But Michael Crichton didn't say the frogs are turning gay. So you can say the approach of alex jones is to be a jackass about it
1: and mm-hmm. to... right right yeah but i mean it for... turns into a sound bite you know
0: But for joe right. rogan to say that he's a truth teller and that he's a prophet that has foreseen things i just read uh episode 14 um not about interdimensional vampires and this is uh somehow one of alex jones made it into spotify and he's having a rant about how there's something about interdimensional vampires so is he a lunatic or is he a saint because joe rogan uh, paints, paints him as a very nice guy he was he the only reason he came after uh the children and the parents of Sandy hook is because he was having an emotional breakdown and joe knows more about this than i do so for for someone as influential as joe rogan to be uh, the mouthpiece or the, the PR guy for Alex Jones, to me, that's the problem. If, if uh, when I used to watch uh, Jon Stewart, I hated him for having Bill Clinton on and giving him uh, softball uh, questions and also mm-hmm. for uh, treating Obama like he was an idiot. Even though they were both Democrats, um, Joe, Joe uh, John Stewart showed his true colors of how partisan and how um, yeah like uh, favoritist he was towards some Democrats and others, and I lost respect for him and I didn't really care about his show after that. Now uh, Joe Rogan, who has had good interviews, his interview of Bernie Sanders was fantastic. I've never seen someone be so um, like interested and willing to hear him out, especially in the in the culture we live in, where nobody can be a socialist if you're a socialist, might as well be. A friend of satan uh so and everybody says that joe rogan was uh, like a sincere um you know whatever liberal democrat or something to support him and people were mad that he didn't support hillary or, or or joe biden or anybody else so in some senses uh joe can be a hero but when it comes down to sandy hook and supporting a guy that came after uh families and who was a provocateur causing um more pain and more trauma for those families. I want you, Joe, to tell us um, what do you know about his involvement in, in trying to uh, attack in in either internet or, um, you know, just getting people routed up against uh, the victims of Sandy Hook.
2: Well, so first of all, um, after watching that podcast, I got a little bit more context of what. Um, Uh, Alex Jones was going through at that time, let's just assume that all that's true. Um, Which would indicate a a couple of things, because he said something interesting too, well I'm I'm trying to remember exactly where he said that, but he said something interesting about um, him having a psychotic breakdown sometime after that which personally is I think is probably a good thing Um, just because it probably Lighten them up a little bit, but um. So the Sandy Hook thing—you're talking about and, Alex Jones, right? Right, right. So um, Joe Rogan brought up a good point too. That yeah, he like he totally effed up, right? That was a big f up. Um, but Alex Jones basically went on the air and just ranted about, and it was like sometimes shortly after it happened. You know, this is not like. It, he went on and he just kind of lambasted a bunch of people um, and said, you know, this whole thing has been faked. Um, the families who are involved should be ashamed of themselves. Um, the kids are lying. Uh, no one died. No one got shot. Um, you know, the whole thing is just a made up conspiracy theory. And then of course he ties in some political agenda to say, you know, all oh, it's trying to prove this point. Now, granted coming from, haven't been really young watching 9-11 happen and then following because growing up with the internet you learn about everything way too quickly so you find out about the conspiracy theories so everything becomes under suspect um, and you lose trust in the system so you kind of understand where someone like Alex Jones comes from even though he's what two generations above me in the sense that his whole thing is like everything is conspiracy right like everything is under scrutiny. Everything's subject to um, just review and just an immense amount of research, which isn't probably necessary. So when he came out about Sandy Hook and he's just talking and um, and and going off, and he's, he's like showing pictures of the people and the scenes and everything. And you're like, dude, take it easy. And it's like, you could tell, like, he was just off kilter. Like he's just, he's off his rocker. He's... Off, he's on edge, and it's like something is going on with him. It's like it's just a strange thing to pick out and to be like, okay, this is what the government wants you to believe is really happening in our country. I'm like, statistically speaking, the number of shootings that's gone in schools, middle schools, high, well, high school is probably less. I don't know, but um, number of shootings has dramatically increased. So when I was in um what middle school grade school when um what at mercy what was the first um big columbine. when columbine happened right the number of shootings is only increased in cent every year it's just it's insane and so then he picks this one thing which is like statistically proven that this is a terrible thing that's happening It's like nah this one's not real and then you know just gets personal and yes so his followers went out there and started going after the family members and telling this, uh, the story I heard was on NPR, I think. Yeah, it was on NPR. And it was a good, it was a good follow-up because it was with the guy who was the father of one of the kids. And the dad got, you know, hate mail and just all this crap and it's not real and you're hiding and all this stuff. And so the dad had to move to a different state and like three or four times and, you know, try to push back and he got lawyers and fought everybody on Facebook and all that. And, and tried to get the right story out there because that's you know that's what um, Joe Rogan goes back to it's like it's kind of about the narrative that you follow and
1: right but uh, he Alex Jones came on the Joe Rogan podcast to apologize for that misinformation
0: after he got sued so an apology after you get in trouble is not a good apology at all
1: (laughs) could he have been as disinformed it's not like he was lying Was
0: Was it?
1: I I was assuming a guy going through a psychotic break, he's seeing things that aren't there. He's putting together the dots in a way that's not correct. And when he got his head screwed on straight, he went on Rogan.
0: He's never had his head screwed on straight. Like in, in 2003, I saw him in the movie Waking Life, and he was the hero of the liberals because he was the only guy who was ranting about the... The government being in, in our lives, and you know how if you go towards the left, they hate the government too, but they hate them for different reasons, because they're not doing enough to help the people. And if you go towards the right, they hate the government because they're too involved. The Austin crowd, who were all drug addicts in that movie, they were they had him on as, as a special, uh, you know, representative of the, of the common people, and now he's he's the representative of of the, the far right and so is he insane or is he an opportunist because you're saying that that he, he came back to his true self which is a normal human being and i've never seen him act normal so so where are you getting this from
1: well i'm what i'm trying to say is that he wasn't putting things together on that issue correctly once he was reconciled with reality and was at least putting the Sandy Hook stuff together. He came on and he owned that. But, you know, I don't think that, I mean, I think it's better that these conversations be had in public because you're held accountable when you have these conversations in public. Alex Jones was held accountable because he had that conversation in public, which started a debate about whether or not he was right or wrong. And we got to the truth, and he submitted to that truth as well. And it's only because that conversation could be happen, happening in the open air that both we and Alex Jones got to the truth on the Sandy Hook thing and that it did happen and that the families were affected. And he needs to repent of, you know, being so off the rails on that one, which he did.
0: What, what is Joe's view of Q and I? Joe Rogan,
1: have you has he ever had? Um, I don't even know Roman? what that means. Yeah, he had he had somebody on there um, who did the QAnon documentary.
0: It's an HBO three part documentary by QAnon where they went back to the guy who started it and all that. Was that? Yeah,
1: one? yeah. That he had the director of that on his show.
0: Because mm-hmm. I want to huh. take it back to uh, 1990 or whatever when Alex Jones did his uh, mockumentary on the bohemian grove but the reason that i bring bohemian grove what i'm saying talking about accountability that is if someone makes accusations that are far-fetched they should not be given a platform in a very influential show because you're giving them legitimacy so
1: i'm gonna say that you can't call him a liar because in order to be a liar you need to be making statements and largely rogan doesn't make statements he just asks questions On like Jones's
0: you show, he said mm-hmm. almost everything that alex jones has said has become true that is a lot is it though it is it's a complete lie. It
1: well i mean is. i'll give you that the guy talks a lot and spreads a lot of information so uh he's said a lot of things so maybe the percentage is uh you know like a handful of them are right but you know, a handful of those were really important things, you know. Do,
0: do you remember the video? I don't know if you guys saw it or the photo. Um, Alex Jones on top of a of an army vehicle during uh, the January 6th or one of those uh, rallies with a megaphone screaming at the top of his lungs, take it back, take it back, and whatever. Uh, like, what is the chant of the January 6th thing that uh, – he was on, in a tank uh, spreading falsehood at that point and it all goes back to QAnon and it all goes back to Bohemian Grove because according to th- this type of thinking, Trump is not the kind of president that would go hang out in Bohemian Grove with all the other liars and child uh, abusers and eaters of, of babies. So, so how can someone as influential as Alex Jones who was able to spearhead uh, a, a not only uh, demonic but It also has, like, anti-Semitic connotations, and I'll get there. Like, he spearheaded this idea that all the presidents are are Illuminati and then pushed it so long that now you have other uh, provocateurs and other uh, disingenuous people pick it up and turn it into a thing such as QAnon, and then he's still being given a platform, and he's still being uh, treated like royalty with Tim Dillon and Joe Rogan who don't see the evil behind this. To, to accuse people who are, who are running the government that, that they've been doing effigies to Moloch, like the, the God of the, of the Canaanites, that, that murder children and all kinds of crazy stuff that comes from Texi Marks, who's a crazy preacher that died in Texas. It's weird that Joe Rogan moved to Austin where Alex Jones and Texi Marks were. Uh, so that's something weird too. And now he's still being given this, this ability to speak and make all kinds of crazy propositions, that to me is very problematic. And and to say that it's just one perspective or that he has he throws poop at the wall and it turns out that half of the poop that he throws ends up being true and it sticks to the wall, like come on, man. So let's go after other conspiracy theories and say, well, maybe in the long run, in the next fifty years we'll find out that it was Bush and Cheney that, that blew up the tower.
1: Well, David, I mean, can you really be criticizing Joe Rogan for putting crazy people on his platform when you have a podcast where a bunch of non-mainstream people have come on to talk about various religious ideas that you are opposed to?
0: I give people who I believe have something to say an opportunity, but I've never had a Nazi on. I've never had people who who are hateful and, and destructive. Like, I've, I've had the opportunity to have 9-11 um, people, and I was like, I am not even going to give them an opportunity, because we're just going to start making all kinds of accusations there's no evidence, and they're going to say, well, the reason there's no evidence is because the government is hiding it. And it's like, that's really the problem. Someone like Alex Jones will tell you that all his crazy stuff has, uh, the, the burden of proof is that there is no proof, like the alien guys that, um, like, we know that the aliens are out there, but the government is hiding it. So it's, it creates a paranoid um, perspective that it doesn't help anyone. So so if we go to the basics of just uh, civility, what good do all these things do? Nothing. They might be entertaining, they might be interesting, but they actually have uh, repercussions in the real world, such so as the guy that went and tried to shoot the, the pizza parlor guy, such as people who have uh, attacked different minorities because they think that the Chinese or the Muslims or the Mexicans are trying to take over. So when you start pushing all these agendas, and there's actually many Alex Joneses. There's a guy that has a show called um, uh, Ground Zero, and he says all kind of crazy stuff too. There's there's quite a few people who have taken the that approach for clicks or for getting a lot of commercials, or and that's that is the. Almost like the model that they're
1: using. You know, if the subject matter, um, like, for instance, uh, COVID, um, vaccines, uh, transgenderism, these are things that are unquestionable. Like, literally, you cannot raise a question on certain platforms without being taken down. Mm -hmm. Now, he has an immutable uh, position where he's untakedownable from spot from Spotify's contract with him and such. And so the um, the thing there is, shouldn't we be allowed to ask questions of unquestionable things, you know, Rogan, if you have the platform to?
0: Joe Rogan, Jimmy Dore, and whoever else is out there questioning uh, the, the whole COVID-19 response and um, narrative are very brave. So I'll give you that. If Joe Rogan would shut up about Alex Jones and, and all the other uh, people who are uh, destructive to society, he should get a prize for being one of the the strong voices against uh, the mandates, against the way that people have been mistreated. I know people from Australia, that they get a ticket if they leave their house because they've been mandated to, to stay home. And I would never uh, like for the US to turn into that. But I know in California and New York, they were heading in that direction. I appreciate that, that our brave podcasters and uh, social commentators who are addressing those issues. But again, it's like you lose credibility when you start hanging out with the Alex Jones types. It's like, when I first met my wife, she was quoting Michael Moore as, as a proponent of Medicare for all and one of the only voices out there who cared about people's health. And I told her, you have the right points, but you have the wrong allies. Do not quote Michael Moore. The moment you quote Michael Moore, you've lost half of the room because he's a clown. And the same would be, you know, Joe Rogan, you you are very sincere, you're very smart, you have a lot to say, but don't hang out with uh, lunatics like Alex Jones that take away a lot of your credibility.
1: Right, but actually... (laughs) He's exercising the same virtue in both places where he's an, he's openly asking people questions and no matter whether it's Alex Jones or Peter McCullough or Robert Malone or Blair White, you know, like it doesn't matter who we're talking about. There are people that are on his show and I don't like them and I don't like that he interviewed them or something because they personally annoy me or I know that they're so off base that I just don't even want to listen to a word that they say. I respect the fact that he treats them all the same. You're on my show. I'm going to ask questions about you and we're going to, you know, not necessarily get to the truth, but I'm going to let you express yourself freely however you need. And I can't say that he's wrong to do that with some people i don't like but it's okay if he does it with people that i do like he procedurally works in an egalitarian way with no matter who's on his show he's gonna have a legitimate conversation with them and so i think you have to laud the virtue with everyone
0: Uh, let me ask you this since you're more familiar with the show does he challenge everyone equally because one of my issues with trevor noah in and uh, stephen colbert is they have they have become um institutionalists so uh, so if hillary clinton shows up uh they're very sweet and very kind and very supportive of her and when this was like at the height of of all of us knowing that hillary clinton had a lot of problems he never questioned her at the same with stephen colbert does joe rogan know or even if he doesn't agree with with the audience or with the the world does he know to say, "Hey, Alex, uh, you did some really messed up stuff. Uh, where are you getting this from? Does he actually do that?" Because
1: right, but like, listen, he's not a journalist. He is primarily two things. He's primarily a fighter, and he trained people in Taekwondo in Boston. You know, he, you know, is into MMA commentary. He's rolling Jujitsu all the time. So primarily, he's a fighter. Keep that in mind. And secondarily, he's a stand-up comedian. Now, both of those professions are about argue, they're about argument. They're about um, knowing your defenses and you know, catching people off guard, exposing people, you know their vulnerabilities. Um, a, a fighter looks for your vulnerability so they can exploit it and submit you or hurt you or whatever, a comedian looks for your vulnerabilities, because that's where they put a punchline. Did they get you to laugh at the uncomfortable thing, you know, and so he does both of those things. So when he brings a guest on, what he's trying to do is he, he asks them questions um, very directly and very straightforwardly. There are a lot of the questions that anyone would ask them, you know, everyone would want to ask a doctor, you know, can you get COVID twice, and they want a straight answer. And it's by his like, good questioning that he, he doesn't strengthen their argument per se, but he allows them, you know, he's exposing what we would think the vulnerabilities are. And sometimes people answer well, and sometimes people, you know, don't have a good answer. But he's always asking the right questions and always pushing people. I, I don't see him um taking it easy on his friends if anything if you look at some of his comedian friends that he has on there he really leans into them and he really pushes into them and he really counters them so he um yeah i think he's oppositional you know in a constructive way Where like he can play devil's advocate he can you know he's not giving softball questions
0: well, it's good to hear that because that's the biggest problem that once people uh, are doing well, they want access to major figures. So um, like Tim Dillon had another guy who has interviewed Elon Musk and I could care less about that guy. Like everybody keeps saying he's so cool and he's so rich and stuff like that. It's like I don't want to know anything about him and I don't want to hang out with him and he doesn't mean anything to me. But to everybody else, he's such a successful guy. Um uh, so, if, if he one day, you know, I just happened to have him on my show, I would have no bones in asking him, hey, why are you wasting your time sending rockets to the moon when you could be helping people in the world? Like, that's something that I would say. But someone who wants to go smoke weed with him and, you know, drive around in his nice car, they, they might not ask that. So, have you ever seen him uh, just be completely blunt and say, well, in, in a question form, because you you don't have to be confrontation. you can say, some people say that... You are part of the Illuminati. What would you say in response to that? And and maybe he believes that there is an Illuminati, and he wants to know. Uh, have you ever have him? Uh, have you ever seen him do that? Like bring up what some detractors would say about some famous person that everybody's in love with, but people like us might not care for.
2: Him. Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, I can't give you any specific examples off the top of my head, but. I mean, he's consistently allowing people to take control of the record or contribute to the record, I should say, where he'll say, you know, some people thought this about you. Is there anything that you want to say to them, you know, or whatever? And he, he does allow those people to say that and um, he can push back on them at times, but I don't have a specific example for you.
0: What about you, um, Joe Like, Have you um, heard or seen uh, anything that you would see as uh, him being a voice for the people? Because another issue really? that happens is that once you get involved with politicians and, and famous folks, they, they all have like groupthink. Like we need to support Biden or we need to support Trump or we need to do this and that. And again, I have a lot of respect for Joe uh, Rogan because he was standing up for Bernie when nobody else was. Uh, have you seen him be um, like a, a consistent defender of um, the, the little man when he's rubbing uh, shoulders with all these successful folks?
2: Um, I can't say that because I haven't watched enough of his show to get a good view of who he is and how he presents himself in public. Um, so, But just from watching a few episodes of him, he seems to be on the side of the people in the sense that, okay, so this is getting back to the COVID stuff a little bit. He's become sort of the spokesperson for the dissenting opinion, or more specifically for the dissenting narrative that all this stuff we've been fed by the government isn't true, um, that they don't even believe it themselves, but they're caught up in whatever, so they don't even know what to say. Um, and then uh, all the all the alternatives. Um the fact that he pretty open about his own story, sharing where he came from, his background. He's chatting with his buddy Tim Dillon on you know where he came up from in the fighting world, things he's done, crap he used to do. I, I he's um what's the word so he's self-deprecating. He's not willing he's not unwilling to um say things that talk about the bad things that he's done and to come to grips with them and to say okay this i did this and this is what i was saying at the time and you know here's how i changed i became a better person because of this um so that again that sort of like human speak he's telling his own narrative um makes him much more accessible and open to other people who are who are interested in that um now granted there are a large majority of the population which Disagrees with the COVID narrative um, that he's giving, so the counter narrative, right? And I still want to believe in um, that everything you get from the media is true. Everything about vaccines is great. Um, everything about everything I've ever been told from anybody in my entire life has always been true. Um, there's lots of people who are still that way, you know? I worked with a guy that was like that in a factory that I worked in. And it was, he would just like rant on his our lunch breaks and be like, people should be wearing their masks all the time. And I can't believe this. And he's, um, you know, he's just kind of kvetching, which is a great word, about other people. And that's a normal human thing to do, to complain about others, it kind of makes us human. The counteracting of these two narratives and, and putting them all together and having communication and conversations with people, I think, it's something that it does pretty well. I mean, again, he brings in all these different people with dissenting voices on his show. He, you know, tries to bring up good questions. Um, he tries to ask, you know, those more difficult things. And then, um, does it speak for everybody though? No, no, because not everybody's opinion. He said it on the, I don't know if it was the Tim Dillon show. Yeah. He said it then. he said, we're in the opinion business, something like that. So we're in the opinion, the, the business of, of sharing opinions. And so, not everybody shares their opinion, so we're going to disagree, and that's life. You know, it's just. Um, but he brought up the really good point of not everybody's willing to share their opinions, especially now with, you know, COVID stuff or with um, just people being unwilling to speak up and being able to share what they think. Um, because oh, he brought it back to cryptocracy, which was really good, um, because everybody's in a very bureaucratic mindset, and he used the example of HR you know, everything's being documented, everything you say is going to be recorded. So you don't want to lose your job if you speak out your opinion, um, which is that I mean, that's kind of another rabbit show we could go down. But um, that's useful, at least because it brings up at least for a middle section of I don't even know how many people would be of the American population that does live and work in corporations and is definitely interested in suburban life um the sense that you know sharing your opinion what's the two biggest things that you cannot talk about at christmas and easter and thanksgiving you cannot talk about religion and politics why because it brings up people's opinions fundamentally and then you have differences of opinions and then you know you get into arguments and then things get heated and then Uncle Jerry's throwing the beer and then people are fighting and then you're like, okay, why am I? Because it was supposed to be just a nice, you know, calm thing that we have to do together. um, But we don't really care about what people's opinions are. Um, So the healthier thing, the more human thing to do is to share your opinions more outright um, and to not really care, but you got to be sensitive, you know, to who you're sharing them with. So you speak for everybody now, I don't think he's necessarily a populist. He might be. seems sort of hard to place him in the middle of the line, but, um, he came up, you know, and has his own, um, story of, he he didn't necessarily come from nothing, you know, it wasn't like a Martin Luther King's story or something where it's like, grew up in the streets. Um, but I don't know. I don't know the details of his life. So,
0: uh, the one thing we see in the Tim interviews uh, interview is that he's very open about who he is and where he comes from and how he feels about things and And the part that that I also respect is that he says that you have to be able to speak your mind you ha- you shouldn't be afraid of how people are gonna react and judge you for it and so comedians uh, have always had that ability of being very free that they, they'll say what everybody else is thinking and and put it out there and they shouldn't be um, persecuted for their opinions. So Sam, uh, I know as we've been discussing this, uh, you, you've brought up um, censorship and and canceling people and stuff like that. Um, do you feel that that's what has made him successful? That he doesn't really care what, what people think and that he's able to speak his mind and we live in a society that has become very controlling and very limiting and that uh, takes away our human spirit and our ability to explore.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's I think it's fitting that we have with such reverence right now for comedians. I I really think that you know comedians are the prophets of a secular world. You don't have a prophet, you know, who's talking to God and you know doing outlandish things, you know, like walking around the streets naked to, you know, point out your insecurities or something, you know, like, or to roll around in a bunch of dung, you know, like the prophets in the old Testament did really ridiculous things that were contrary to the culture to call them out and to say, Hey, maybe you should change your life. Um, they, the comedians are the closest thing that we have to a prophet right now. Um, because they're also like the jester, the jester in the king's court. And it's only the jester who can tell the truth because he's the only one who can talk back to the king. Everyone else needs to be part of the bureaucratic structure of uh, you know, having a carrot incentivizing you to go in the way of the powerful. And then the powerful also give you a stick on the other end to make sure that you aren't going against them. Now, a comedian, It's their job to expose insecurities and make us laugh about them and point out the ridiculous uh, and the absurd that we have in life. Um, And so that means that they're going to say things that turn the mirror around on us. And we notice our vulnerabilities and our insecurities. They bring that into relief with us. And they also do that to people in positions of power as well to you know, humble them as well. So that's, I mean, that's the duty that I think that Joe Rogan and some of these other comedians, you know, have and what they're entrusted with. Um, And because also jokes only work when they're true, you know, because like a punchline and an insight both hit you in the same way. Like, we don't laugh at things just because they're absurd or they're crazy, you know. And that's just dumb. It's not really funny. But when someone says something really funny, you're like, oh, my God, that's so true. And so that's why I think, you know, we really need to preserve the comics' free speech and their ability to preserve or to to interact with the world on any angle they need, because at the end of the day, the comedian is trying to expose the truth.
0: I'm glad you say that because there was one point where more people got their news from the daily show than from the the nightly news. And it was for the same reason that, um, as they talk about it in that interview with uh, Tim Dillon and Joe Rogan, that everything is so scripted. Uh, you know, you know that every time you turn on the news, they're going to say five horrible things that happened today. And then now let's go to a picture of a a puppy and then let's do weather and then let's do sports.
1: Yeah. But the crazy thing is when you toggle between the news stations, uh, local news all across the board, you know, you go from the news in Texas to the news in Michigan to the news in New York, you know, And then you also take the national level things like CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, you'll notice that they're all using the same script. You're hearing the same verbiage. You're hearing the same phrasings all all across. Everyone's using the same phrases like out of an abundance of caution or as the CDC says, you know, like all of that stuff is so scripted in that environment. And so when you have a three hour long discussion where this guy is grilling his guests and asking them questions and going down the rabbit holes with them. It's very hard to lie for three hours straight. And so the truth comes out in those podcasts, you know, more so than they can come out in a five minute quick pre-scripted thing that's regurgitated through everyone's local news stations and so I think that's one reason why, you know, Joe Rogan, I mean, if he, if he has, you know, like 90 million people or something like that who are listening to him all the time, Tucker Carlson and these guys, they only have like three. I mean, it's not even close, you know, how much people value his opinion compared to the other pundits who are on TV because, you you know, even the most outlandish people on there are still hyper scripted.
0: Definitely. And, and the, the two minute or uh, responses uh, gives uh, a lot to say for uh, these crazy interviews um, that they do where they'll have a pundit talk for two minutes on whatever just happened. And they'll, they'll give you a can answer. And then they have another pundit give you another can answer. And there's really no back and forth. And there's really no deeper understanding of the issues. So, um, Again, uh, there's there's maybe a few more things we could talk about, but we're running out of time. Uh, I wanna thank you both for uh, being on this uh, critique of uh, the Tim Dillon interview of Joe Rogan, and maybe later we can talk more about uh, other subjects that are coming up. We've done a couple of shows on co- COVID. Uh, we've done a couple of shows on uh, conspiracy theories, but most of all, uh, we support free speech and we support the ability to get your message across. So um, they say that a way to fight bad information is with good information. So we hope that um, that that can happen. So maybe uh, you know people are writing um, papers about media, movies, and stuff like that. Maybe Sam, Joe, and I can write a book about how Joe Rogan has revolutionized podcasting and brought truth. And he's the greatest jester that ever lived. Or the lousiest or whatever. Um, it's funny how you can analyze anything that is um, that is out there. But I think that that's also part of, of the conversation. That once you put something out there, it's also uh, going to be criticized. It's going to be thought about, and it's going to be uh, you know broken apart and, and dissected. And, uh, and I hope people will uh, appreciate this um, us doing that in this uh, program. Thank you, uh, Joe and
1: Sam. All right. Thanks, David. Talk to you guys soon. All right. Ciao. Take
0: care.